Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to What Women Must Know. Thank you for joining me for another opportunity to have an in-depth conversation. We have a phenomenal conversation planned for you today. And before we go there, I just want to thank you all for listening every week, for being so dedicated to this show and to uh, the many other shows that are presented on Progressive Radio Network. It's a a group of very uh, sincere hosts who have a passion to empower everyone listening, to expand your capabilities, to expand your horizons, to support you in healing and your own transformation in life. So, uh, so thank you again. I also want to make a little announcement. I have just launched a new website. So if you go to drcherylselman.com, and let me just spell my name because no one ever gets it right. It's S-H-E-R-R-I-L-L, and Selman is S-E-L-L-M-A-N. So go and visit over at Dr. Cheryl Selman. It's brand new. I'm excited because it's been a long time coming. And I'll be offering a lot more um, resources for everyone. So please opt in there from and of course, you can go to my Facebook page, which is What Women Must Know. And one of the good things about having the Facebook page and also my website is that you can um, get these interviews sent to you. So you don't have to be here in person. You can get them delivered right into your inbox or to my Facebook page, and you'll be able to pop every single interview because I have amazing guests on my show, and I definitely want you to be able to you know, listen in that miss the opportunity. So, um, so, so please take advantage of these wonderful avenues that are really enlightening us at this time. And uh, I'm just going to launch right in to my special guest I'm so excited to have. And um, we are going to be exploring, um, uncovering the missing connections between biology, psychology, and spirituality with Dr. Bruce Lipton. And Dr. Bruce Lipton is um, uh, such a uh, household name. (laughs) Bruce, I have to say, everyone knows who you are. So for those of you who may not yet have been introduced to Dr. Bruce Lipton, let me just say a little bit about him. Uh, Dr. Lipton is a stem cell biologist, best-selling author, and recipient of the 2009 Goy Keese Award and an internationally recognized leader from the science and spirit. Dr. Lipton began his scientific career as a biologist, receiving his PhD from the University of Virginia before joining the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine in 1973. Dr. Lipton's research on muscular dystrophy, studies employing cloned human stem cells focused upon the molecular mechanisms controlling cell behavior. His research at Stanford University School of Medicine revealed that the environment operating through the membrane controls the behavior and physiology of the cells. And uh, turning genes on and off, his discoveries, which ran counter to the established scientific view that life is controlled by the genes, was one of the most important fields of study and has evolved into what is now known as the science of epigenetics. Dr. Lipton's revolutionary research has uncovered the missing connection between biology, psychology, and spirituality, not to mention that he is the best-selling author of several books. And um, well, let me just before I before I <laughs> get too excited, I just want to welcome Dr. Bruce Lipton to the show today. So, such a pleasure to have you, Bruce, on the show. I am so excited to be here, Dr. Cheryl, because I uh, we have a history together that uh, we we've been talking for years though <laughs> over time, and uh, and it's really wonderful because the topics that we talk about have been manifesting into the public as we've been you know going through these years and it's real exciting because the public is beginning to have an understanding of how truly powerful they are in creating their life and uh, not the victims that they've been programmed to be absolutely you know when we first talked and when you know the biology first came out which is the best selling book how many languages have been translated into that i don't know how, how many years uh, yeah, do you know how many? Do you know? I'm no. sure that's like such a Bible right now. Well, I know that 
the book is uh, uh, the biology of belief is in its twelfth year now, so uh, that's a, a span of time. You know, um, it, it's it's really talking about how we can alter our um, our our bodies, but it goes beyond that. It goes so far beyond that, and uh, the field of epigenetics and the the testing the the I mean, I I've, I've been doing nutrigenomic testing for about five years now, which is understanding how nutrition can influence the information in the field. Um, as we, we really have gone a long way, and a lot of that has to do with your pioneering work in getting people to understand the power we have. Because what, you know, what, what really is behind the tremendous amount of research you've done is the realization, is the aha moment of just how we truly can create our reality, how powerful we truly are. And you, you were demonstrating that in the studies you did when you were researching and understanding the genes. So how about we start for people who have not yet had the um, the pleasure and the enlightenment of reading your books, why don't we just start at the very beginning and then we can go a little deeper. Or we'll go a lot deeper. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's see if I can summarize this very quickly. And the fact is this, is that I was um, – Years ago, let's start, let's go. How many years ago? Which is almost embarrassing at this moment because it was like 51 years ago. Uh, I had the opportunity of cloning stem cells in a research laboratory, and back 51 years ago, there was just a handful of us in the entire world that even knew what a stem cell was. So, I, I happened to be a lucky guy in the right place at the right time, studying these stem cells. And uh, my work was very simple. So first, let's, uh, let's say what a stem cell is, because people have heard of it. But I want to emphasize what it represents. The first thing is this. When we look in the mirror and see ourselves as single entities, uh, that's an illusion. Uh, because the human body, by definition, is made out of 50 trillion cells. The cells are the living entity. The body, by definition, is a community. So when I say the word, uh, the name Bruce, it represents a community of 50 trillion cells. So that's what we are, community. And the relevance about this is that uh, every day uh, we lose hundreds of billions of cells to normal aging. Uh, skin cells are continuously sloughing off. Blood cells are dying and being replaced. Uh, the lining of the digestive system from the mouth to the anus is replaced. The cells that are lining the, the system are replaced every three days. That's like nearly a trillion cells. There's a point that says, wait a minute. If I'm made out of 50 trillion cells and I'm losing hundreds of billions every day for aging, how can I survive? And the answer is because we replace those cells with the progeny of stem cells. Now, stem cell, uh, another word for stem cell uh, that is the same cell is called embryonic cell. And I say, well, we don't call it an embryonic cell because the moment before you were born, we would say that's an embryonic cell. But the moment after you're born, we change the name to stem cell because you're not an embryo anymore. So uh, a stem cell is an embryonic cell. Every one of us that's listening is here today uh, doesn't have to question if they have stem cells for a very simple reason. Uh, if you're alive and <laughs> you're continuing to stay alive, uh, then obviously you're replacing those hundreds of billions of cells every day with your own stem cells. So every one of us has stem cells. Now, the idea about it was I was cloning them, and I said, what does that mean? I said, I take one stem cell by itself and put it in a Petri dish. And I go, so what's the relevance? So I said, well, the cell divides every 10 or 12 hours. So first there's one, then two, four, eight, the population doubles. At the end of the week, there's 30,000 cells in the Petri dish. The most important point simply is that all cells are genetically identical because they came from the same parent. So I have 30,000 genetically identical cells. And um, my experiment was a real challenge to what I was teaching because uh, teaching uh, students, especially in the medical school, uh, that genes control life, and that was the curriculum, I was teaching that. But in my research, I have now these 30,000 genetically identical cells. I split them into three different Petri dishes, and, um, uh, and we grow cells in the laboratory in something called culture medium. I say, well, what is culture medium? Well, culture medium is the laboratory version of blood. 
If I grow mouse cells, I look at what mouse blood is made out of and in the laboratory create a version of that synthetically uh, called mouse culture medium. When I grow human cells, I look at human blood composition, make a synthetic version and call it uh, human culture medium. Now, because I'm making the culture medium in the lab, I also have the freedom to change some of the composition. So uh, in my laboratory, I, I I took those 30,000 genetically identical cells, put them into three different petri dishes, so all dishes have genetically identical cells. But what is different is I changed the chemistry of the culture medium slightly in each of the dishes. So while each dish has genetically identical cells, it has a slightly different environment. And I say, what was the relevance? And the answer was, uh, in one set of dishes, the cells form muscle. Uh, with one environment, uh, in a slightly different culture medium, a different environment, the cells form bone. And in a third uh, different environment, in a, uh, the cells, genetically identical cells, they form fat cells. So I said, wait a minute. All the cells were genetically identical, but the environment was slightly different. And the results were one dish had muscle, one dish had bone, and one dish had fat cells. The question becomes so profoundly important because it says, well, what controls the fate of the cells? And the answer is, well, first of all, they were all genetically identical, so I can't say there were different genes in the different cells. The only thing that was different was the environment, the culture medium. And so that the chemistry of the culture medium was influencing the genetic activity and controlling the genetic activity of the cells. So the genes didn't control the fate. It was the environment, the culture medium. Now, this is a very nice laboratory study, so let's now take the biggest jump in the world here and simply say this. As I mentioned, a human body is made out of 50 trillion cells, so uh, in a humorous sense, a body is a skin-covered petri dish with 50 trillion cells inside. But I go, oh, inside the body is the original culture medium, the blood. And I say, yeah. So I say, does it make a difference if a cell is in a plastic dish or a skin-covered dish in regard to its fate? I go, no, the fate is controlled by the culture medium, the blood. So uh, whether the cell's in the plastic dish or the skin dish, it wasn't the genes that controlled the fate. It was the chemistry of the culture medium uh, in the plastic dish, synthetic, and the skin-covered dish, natural blood. So now we jump to the level of the human, and I say, okay, you have 50 trillion cells. They're genetically identical because they came from the same fertilized egg. And you have 50 trillion genetically identical cells. But I say, ah, what's different in the human body is the culture medium. The chemical composition of the culture medium is controlling what's going to happen to the cells. And so now the next jump is, well, who controls the culture medium? In the lab, when I was growing them in plastic dishes, the cells uh, were in synthetic version of blood. But in our bodies, the, our cells are in the natural, original culture medium, our blood. But, and the chemistry of the blood is what controls the fate of the cells. And then the next question, and there's two, two steps now, the next question is, well, then what controls the chemistry of our blood in our body? Because that chemistry is, in fact, controlling genetics. I go, yes, the brain is the chemist. Now, the last step and the most important one is this. So what chemistry should the brain release in the blood? And all of a sudden it comes down to whatever the picture is in the mind, the brain's job is to translate that into complementary chemistry. So if I have a picture of love in my mind and I see my loved one and I see uh, Margaret uh, and, and my brain says love, then the chemistry the brain releases is chemistry complementary to love, such as dopamine, which is pleasure. That's why we, we have so much pleasure being in love. And then I say oxytocin. Well, that's the chemistry that bonds me to, to my love. Uh, and I say vasopressin. That makes my love more attractive to me, so I want to be bonded. And in love, we also release growth hormone by the brain. And growth hormone enhances the vitality of the cells. The point is simple. In a picture of love in the mind, the brain releases chemistry that enhances our health and, uh, and our vitality. So when you see people in love, they say, oh, look how they glow. See how healthy they are. I go, that's not a coincidence. That is a consequence of 
the chemistry uh, resolve, you know, coming from a picture of love in the mind, that chemistry goes in the blood and enhances our vitality. And so our blood, our culture medium, expresses love chemistry. In contrast, if I open up my eyes and see something that scares me, well, I don't release chem- chemistry of love. I release chemistry of fear and protection, which is stress hormones and things that affect my immune system. I go, oh, well, the, the, the blood chemistry in love is different than the blood chemistry in fear. And I go, yes, as we have visions in our head, <clears throat> we adjust the chemistry of our blood mm-hmm. to match the picture, and then the chemistry adjusts the cells to be a complement to the picture, so a picture of love in my head leads to healthy love in my body and genetic expression of that. In contrast, if I'm afraid or I have fear, then the chemistry that is released into the blood is a chemistry for protection, which actually compromises growth. And I say, so what's the simple conclusion? And the answer is simply this. The belief that most people have been programmed is genes control the character of life. The new science, which I discovered 51 years ago, and now it becomes the, the foundation of a, a whole new field of research called epigenetics, is that the fate of the cells is a reflection of the chemistry that is complementary to the picture in the mind. As you change the image in your mind, you change the chemistry of the blood, which in turn changes the genetics and the behavior of the cells. So I say, why is it relevant? And here's the most profound point. Original belief, which most people still have in the public world, is that genes control the character of our life. I say, what is the meaning of that? I say, well, as far as we know, we didn't pick the genes, and if we don't like the character, we can't change the genes, and we are told the genes turn on and off by themselves. So in the old story, we are victims of our genetics. If you have a gene that does something, you're going to get it because the gene is going to create the the uh, you know the expression of that i say so what's the new story i go epigenetics and i go well okay genetics is the old story epigenetics is the new i say what's the difference when i say something is under genetic control that means genes control the character but if i say something is under epigenetic control the new science epi means above so epigenetic control The new science translates simply as control above the genes. And all of a sudden I say, well, what's above the genes that controls the genes? I go, our consciousness. And all of a sudden it says, well, wait a minute. The environment and our consciousness are are creating the chemistry of our culture medium, blood, which in turn controls genetics. And I go, now what's different is this. Under genetic control, the genes controlled it, I'm a victim. Under epigenetics, my environment and my consciousness control my genes. And I go, relevance? I can change my environment. I can change my consciousness. I go, relevance? We control the genes. We're not the victim of the genes. We control our genes based on our consciousness. And all of a sudden I go, oh, my God, that takes us from victim genetics to master epigenetics. And I say, if people understood this, then what we need to recognize this, we don't have to program the body and put the chemistry in and try to fix all the genes. All you have to do is change your consciousness, and you will automatically change your your biology and your genetics because uh, the consciousness will create the chemistry that complements that. So where do we stand? We stand with a world's population believing they're victims. Oh, Cancer is running in my family. I have a cancer gene, and they have a belief about that. And I go, why is it relevant? And I say, number one, this is most important. There is no gene that causes cancer, not one. There is no gene that causes cancer. I say, then where the heck is the cancer coming from? I say, epigenetically, our consciousness is not in harmony with life. And when our consciousness is not in harmony, the disharmony is displayed in our biology. And all of a sudden it says, well, wait a minute. Then the health crisis that we're facing today, we've attributed this to genetics. And I go, less than 1% of health issues are connected to genes. And all of a sudden I said, well, then where's, where are our health issues coming from? I go, 
Our consciousness is creating that. I go, why is it relevant? If genes created it, victims, I can't do anything about it, that's it. But consciousness is something we can regulate and change. So all of a sudden it says, no, I have the power to change my perception, my belief, my attitudes. And that is what controls the chemistry of my blood, which in turn controls my genetics and my behavior. So the evolution that we're facing right now is profound. We are moving from a belief that we are victims of our biology into a world that says we are masters of our biology. And if we understand the mechanism, then we can control our life. And if we can control our life, then that means we could be healthy, happy individuals creating a most wonderful life experience uh, for as long as we live on this planet because we're the ones that control the consciousness. And uh, Cheryl, my dear friend, uh, your work has been so involved in trying to get people to understand this, but this is a mechanistic science, and that's really the cool part because it's not a suggestion. It's a mechanism, and it says you want to change your life, then you have to start off by changing your belief system. And the moment you change that, you are now empowered. And so a summary of what I just said was, we're moving from I'm a victim of my genes into world I'm a master of my creation. And when people understand this, the whole world is changing. And we're in the process right now of recovering our power to create a most wonderful life experience on this planet. I hope that was a summary that got me there. Wow, that, yeah, that was great. You know, and, and this is where the merging of ancient wisdoms uh, and science really come together because what, what are all the, the ancient wisdoms teaching? It's teaching that we have, a, we have the power within us. We have the power to heal. We have the power to create the life we want. Uh, which you know, which is the um, the way out of our suffering. And, but then, then people are asking. I'm sure people are thinking about this as they're talking. It's like, well, well, you know, how do we do that? You know, how do we do that? What is it that's getting in my way? I meditate every day. I read, uh, you know, self improvement books. I go online and listen to all these lectures. So, what what are the steps? Because you've been looking at the hidden unconscious beliefs that have gotten in the way of us being able to access this highest expression of the field of love and compassion. So let's talk about what are some of the things that we need to address to get to the place where we can access the power and truly experience the transformation from pain and suffering to health and well-being and joy in our lives. Well, let's start off with a very critical and most important definition. It's not very many words. But if you get the definition, uh, it's the most powerful uh, uh, realization that I can offer. And it simply comes like this. The function of the mind is to create coherence between our beliefs and our reality. So basically, I say, what is the function of the mind? Well, it controls my nervous system and behavior. I say, yeah, but what's it controlling it to? I mean, what's it responding to? It says, first, our belief. We create a belief, and then our behavior is going to encourage and support that belief. Do I believe I'm a powerful person? Do I believe I'm a victim? Well, that's profoundly different (laughs) Uh, because the mind doesn't care what the program is. Its function is just to manifest the program. And then I say, okay, so uh, the mind. And then I say, oh, well, this becomes the next critical juncture because when you say the mind, it sounds like it's a single entity. In fact, what we recognize now is the mind has two fundamental subdivisions, the conscious mind, which is the latest evolution of the brain, and the subconscious mind, which was there before consciousness. Uh, And I go, these are two uh, interdependent elements that we collectively refer to as the mind. I go, why is it relevant? And the answer is this. The two minds, conscious and subconscious, A, they have different functions, And B, and this is most critical, they learn in different ways. And yet C, uh, the creative character of our life is going to reflect the mind, be it the conscious mind or the subconscious mind. So I say, okay, so what's the difference? The conscious mind is creative. That's the latest evolution of the brain. It's got imagination. Animals don't perceive imagination like we do because I could say, okay, Cheryl, tell me what you're doing next week at Wednesday or something. And Wednesday isn't here. 
but you can project what you might be doing based on whatever comes into your mind. And then if you follow that, that that's exactly what's going to happen. So uh, your mind can tell me what's going to happen in the future based on its imagination. Uh, And the relevance about that is then uh, the conscious mind is by definition creative. Because if I say, so what are you doing next Wednesday at 2 o'clock? Uh, and the answer is, well, it's creative. <laughs> it's whatever you plan to do next Wednesday at 2 o'clock. So I say the conscious mind is creative. It's got our wishes and desires in it. I say, what do you want out of your life? By definition, if you answer that question, it came from the conscious mind because what you want out of your life is that's a future. And we haven't experienced it yet. Only imagination could tell you what the future might be. So uh, you give me a future image, that's creative. And, and I say, well, this is what you want, health, happiness, great job. I say, that's really great. And then I say, okay, so the conscious mind's creative and can project. And then I say, well, what's the subconscious mind? I go, oh, it's not very creative. The subconscious mind is like a uh, record playback mechanism. It, it learns behaviors. And, and and then you push a button, so to speak, and the program will play. Now, some people say, oh, well, the subconscious where all the evil comes from. I go, wait a minute. <laughs> the subconscious is like a, a recording device, like a, uh, a CD recorder, old-fashioned, a tape recorder. I go, it's a machine. It records programs. I say, is the machine good or bad? I go, the machine's not good or bad. It's the machine. The programs can be good. And the programs can be bad. Uh, And so I'll give you an example of a good program because, well, a lot of people think evil comes from subconscious. Think about it this way. When did you learn how to walk? Before you were two. Have you had to relearn how to walk since then? You could be 70, 80, 90 years old. You're still walking. I go, that was a program you learned before two. Thank God you have a subconscious. Otherwise, you'd have to relearn how to walk every day. But the subconscious learns programs. Well, when they're good programs, learning how to walk and talk and all that stuff, that's really good. But if they're negative programs, then they'll manifest. And I say, yeah, but if the subconscious is going to uh, manifest a program, and I say, what's the function of the mind to make that program real? And if I start off with a negative program in the subconscious and the mind makes it real, then what am I manifesting? I'm manifesting a negative life experience because that's the program. And I say, well, wait a minute. (laughs) If I just uh, work with my creative conscious mind, then I'll create all the wonderful desires, love, happiness, health, great job, all these things. That's creative. And I say, so I don't want to use the subconscious mind. I'll use my creative mind. Good idea, except this is the monkey wrench that ruins everything, and here it is. The monkey wrench is the conscious mind, which is creative, can also think. You go, so what? I say, well, thinking is directing your conscious mind's attention inward, inside your head. Uh, I ask you, what are you doing next Wednesday at 2 o'clock? The answer is probably not written on a piece of paper in front of you, but in your mind, you can start to go say, oh, yeah, well, let's see, Tuesday, Wednesday, what am I doing on Wednesday? And I say, what are you doing? You're looking for an answer. I say, yeah, but where is it? It's inside. I say, wait a minute. The conscious mind is supposed to be observing the world. That's how I move through the world. I'm observing it and moving through it. But uh, the moment I'm thinking, the conscious mind stops looking at the outer world because thought is an internal thing. So the conscious mind lets go of the wheel, so to speak, as the conscious mind goes inside to think. I say, well... What if I'm driving a car or I'm walking down the street and I have a thought and the conscious mind lets go of the wheel and now is inside? Uh, do I stop walking or I'm in the car? I'm in the road. What am I, what am I going to do? And the answer, and here's where this is it. You ready? The moment the conscious mind lets go of the wheel, goes inside to have a thought, the subconscious mind is autopilot, like the automatic pilot. Okay, I was walking paying attention, but now I'm thinking, conscious mind's not paying attention, I'm still walking, subconscious mind is paying attention. So I go, whoa, okay, here's the, here's the point. When you're operating from the conscious creative mind, you are then manifesting a creation by your nervous system, 
the function of the mind is to create coherence between your belief and your reality. And if I'm operating from conscious mind, it has all my positive beliefs, health, happiness, love. And if I'm operating from my conscious mind, then I, the function of the, the brain is to manifest that behavior. But, but, if my conscious mind is busy thinking, then my subconscious mind is running the system. And guess what? The program of the subconscious mind is now what the brain is going to manifest. I go, oh, wait a minute. Here's the difference. The conscious mind is you, your wishes, your desires, your aspirations, conscious mind. But the subconscious mind is programmed. And the primary program that got into that subconscious mind in the first seven years of our life, these programs were obtained by observing other people and downloading their behavior. So a child under seven, the subconscious mind is like a, a video recorder. It observes the behavior of the parents, the siblings, the community, and downloads them, just like a recording. I see it, and it goes not into the conscious mind, the subconscious mind. So now I stop. I say the function of life is the mind, uh, the function of the mind is to create coherence between our beliefs and our reality. But when the conscious mind is busy thinking, then the creation is not coming from the conscious mind. It's coming from the program in the autopilot, which is taking over. And then I say, and the issues that we've been getting to is this. 70% or more of the programs downloaded in the subconscious mind in the first seven years of our lives are disempowering, self-sabotaging, and limiting beliefs. So I said, wait a minute. If I'm operating from my conscious mind, I'm creating from wishes, desires, and aspirations. But if the conscious mind is thinking, then I'm creating from the subconscious mind, which is programs from other people. They don't manifest my wishes and desires. That's their behavior. And now the big number that changes life. It's only 5% of the day that we're using the conscious mind to drive our vehicles. 95% of the day, our conscious mind is inwardly directed in thought. That automatically means that 95% of the day, the behavior we are expressing is not coming from our creative wishes and desires conscious mind. It's coming from the programs that we downloaded by observing other people. And since most of those are negative and self-sabotaging, then 95% of the day, the mind is is creating coherence between our negative programs and our life, and our life is expressed as negative. And, and I say, wow, uh, so we're not creating from our wishes and desires on a regular day uh, because 95% is not coming from the creative conscious mind. It's coming from subconscious because conscious mind is thinking. And I say, well, that's where the problems come from because when the conscious mind is thinking, it's not observing what's going on when the subconscious is running the show because the conscious mind is inside thinking. And therefore, whatever the programs are in the subconscious, it's running our show and we're unaware of it. You say, okay, what does all this mean? I'm sorry I have so many words, Cheryl, because I'm trying to get this in here. I know, I know. You're doing great. I think everyone's really doing great. <laughs> so, so basically it says this. 95% of the day, conscious mind's in thought. 95% of the day, then, the function of the mind is to create coherence, not with our conscious wishes and desires, but with our subconscious programs, because that's what's running the show. And since most of those are negative, we are sabotaging ourselves. And I say, but we don't see it. And a story that I've told 31 years now in lecture, and I'm going to tell it probably for next year as well, 32 years, same story because it's profound, and that is this. We probably all have a friend that we knew our friend's behavior very, very well. And we also happen to know our friend's parent. And one day we see our friend has the same behavior as their parent. So we, we want to you know acknowledge that. So we say something like, hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. And all of a sudden, you start to realize that Bill gets upset and angry. How can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. 
uh, and everyone starts to laugh because they have the experience. I say, explain just what happened. I go, Bill, subconscious, primarily programmed by observing his father during the first seven years of life. 95% of Bill's life is actually controlled by these programs because that's how much time Bill spends thinking. So 95% of his behavior is a direct play out of the programs he downloaded from his father. But the reason he's playing these programs is because his conscious mind is thinking. And because his conscious mind is thinking, Bill is the one that can't see the behavior that is coming from his automatic program. So when you tell Bill, hey, you're just like his, your dad, Bill is like, he never saw that. Why? Because the only time he played his dad's behavior was when he was thinking and his conscious mind wasn't paying attention because his conscious mind was thinking. And so the behavior that was coming out was the automatic behavior. And if it's negative, then that means 95% of the day, the behavior that Bill is playing, downloaded from his father, is actually sabotaging his life, and he's the one that can't see it. And, 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 and then comes the most important fact of that little story. We are all Bill. Every day, 95% of our life is coming from the programs in the subconscious that we downloaded from other people, and specifically, these programs don't match our wishes and our desires and what we want. They're other people's behaviors. So 95% of the day, we are playing other people's behaviors, mother, father, sibling, community, and we don't see it like Bill because of why are we playing these programs? Because the conscious mind's thinking and not paying attention. And so as these programs are coming out, they're sabotaging our life. And we don't even see these behaviors. And I say, and give me the conclusion of that, and the answer is this. We feel we are victims because we wake up in the morning with conscious wishes and desires of what we want. We want to be in love, want to be healthy, want to have a great job. And then we go forward in our life from the morning. And uh, then I say, yeah, but the behavior that's playing 95% of the day is not coming from the wishes and desires. It's coming from the program, and we don't see it. And these programs sabotage what we want. And so I say, at the end of the day, you come home and you go, my God, I went forward to find love, health, happiness. And at the end of the day, I come home with none of that. And therefore, my vision to myself is I'm a victim because I went forward with positive thinking and come home with negative consequences. And and then you say, well, it wasn't me. I had positive thinking. And I go, it was you, <laughs> because while you had positive thinking, your behavior was coming from your program, and you didn't see it. And since most of those programs are negative, all you see is the result at the end of the day. It didn't work. And and I say, and the, the problem? You didn't see you were the one that was creating the problem, so you're left with an illusion that the success you were seeking didn't happen because the universe didn't provide it, that you were a victim of nature, that things were out of your control. Uh, and the problem was, oh, my God, you didn't see that you were playing all these negative programs all day. You were creating the negative as much as you were creating the positive. And since you don't see that you were creating the negative, you own victim, which means I am powerless in this world, that all these negative things are happening because I am a victim, I am powerless, when it turns out we unconsciously were creating the problem. And, and, and that's because we were playing these negative programs. Now, one last part about this, and then I'll try and be quiet so we can have a discussion, Cheryl, um, <laughs> is simply this. Uh, there's a movie called The Matrix, and most people have seen it. And the movie fifteen premise, times, Bruce. What's, what's that? I've talking? watched it. I've, I have watched it fifteen times. Okay. Well, to me, uh, <laughs> the, the movie is, is the most profound, important story okay. because it says we've all been programmed. Yes, that is absolutely true. That in the movie they said if you take the blue pill, you wake up and you're back into the program, and life is just the way it's always been every day. But they say if you take the red pill, you get out of the program. And and it's interesting because 
I want people to recognize most all of us as adults anyway have taken that red pill, got out of the program. And I said, well, what was the consequence when we took that red pill? I said, we, we changed our life. Instead of being the program, we were actually then creating from wishes and desires. I go, when was it when we took that red pill? And science has recognized when we fall in love, we stay what is called mindful. Mindful means you stay in the conscious mind. You stay in the present moment. You stop thinking. When you fell in love, you were there being present. Instead of thinking and letting your mind go off into the distance somewhere, you kept your mind up front because this is what you've been looking for your whole life. And I say, what was the consequence of falling in love? You stopped playing the program. Then I say, well, then who was running the show when you were not playing subconscious programs? The answer is the conscious creative mind. I say, so what happened when you fell in love? You stopped playing the negative programs. You started playing the program from the conscious creative mind, and I say, what, did, what was the result of when you fell in love? And the answer was what I refer to as the honeymoon effect, the experience of heaven on earth. The moment you fell in love and you stopped playing the program, 24 hours later, your life was like, oh, my God, I'm in love. Life is beautiful. I'm happy. Life is great. Everything is wonderful. I go, your life uh, every day sucked until you fell in love, and then 24 hours later, you're telling me you have heaven on earth. I go, and we know we know why. And the answer is because that moment of falling in love was the equivalent of the red pill. The moment you fell in love, you stopped thinking, and you started being present. And the moment you were present, you were then creating uh, your life from your wishes and desires. And what did you manifest? Heaven on earth. point is very clear. Heaven and earth is available to us every day of our life. <laughs> the only reason we haven't experienced it until we fell in love is because we kept thinking. And the more thinking we did, the more we kept playing the programs that downloaded from our community, family, parents, whatever. And the more we played those programs, the more life was not heaven on earth. And the moment you stopped playing the program, the moment you stopped playing the program, you fell in love 24 hours later, it is heaven on earth. And I'm, the conclusion is so profound for all of us, Cheryl, because the simple reason is this. Heaven on earth is available to us every day of our life for as long as we live. The only reason we don't have heaven on earth as a day-to-day -day thing is because we're thinking, <laughs> playing these negative programs. And so the solution is two things. Either stop thinking, which is what happens when we fall in love, or change the program and then create a new program. And those are the two ways out of the of the problem of programs destroying our the character and quality of our lives. You know that I mean it's such a, a, a profound uh, understanding, and you know the 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 journey and this is where the spirituality part of our conversation comes in because um, falling in love is an experience of being in the moment, of serving another, of just wanting to you know give to that other person because you just your heart is open you're in your you're in your true state of being however uh as probably everyone listening knows that is not a permanent state if you have not done the work to heal the programs that's that will raise their ugly heads down the track so you, when you when you taste that nectar you know what's possible to live a life that's you know, filled with joy and bliss and gratitude, you have to go back. We all have to go back. We all have to go and do the work yes. of healing those programs. You get a taste, right? We all, somewhere along the line, all of us have had a taste of that. But it's, and, and then we wonder why it ends, right? Or why it dissipates or why it's... Well, because you know, we start thinking. We, we start thinking right. again. I don't, I don't care how much your honeymoon and how wonderful it is, you still have a job. You still have chores. You have responsibilities. So somewhere if you let go of the thinking and you're enjoying the honeymoon, but then at some point life comes back in your face and you still got to do the work and, and all that stuff. And, and the moment you start going back into that life, you start going back into thinking, which then automatically brings up the old programs and the honeymoon ends because all of a sudden 
you're now playing those negative programs that you didn't play during the honeymoon. That's why the honeymoon was so beautiful. You were not the negative person you were on regular day. Uh, your partner was not the negative person they were on a regular day. But as the, as the honeymoon progresses, there's a point where thinking starts coming in, and the moment thinking comes in, the behavior is no longer coming from the creative wishes of the conscious mind. The programs of the subconscious, the negative ones, start manifesting. And once those behaviors start to manifest in the relationship, then the heaven on earth part disappears, and, and the honeymoon's over. And, and uh, we always want to go back. <laughs> but the only way to go back is, as you said, you, you've got to change the program here. So let's talk about changing the program. Uh, what are what are your thoughts, experiences, um, you know, a, a guidance? Because because the truth of the matter is, we've all come in those first seven years with some sort of negative programming, or we've either observed negative behavior, or we picked it up, you know, just telepathically. The thoughts, the the emotions, the the looks on our parents' faces, the you know, the energy that that, that was around us. So we all have that. At some point or other, it, it you know it, it gets us back to as you would say the the thinking mode out of the present moment. So what? Um, what what are your recommendations to people to find their in their journey to restore their connection to that place of being present? Well, the, number one is what what is the program that we are playing? Where what are our programs? And, and to answer that, that that's the easy part now. And the, and the reason is ninety five percent of our life is coming from the programs because that's how much time we spend thinking. So I say, oh, well, if 95% of your life is coming from the program, your life, by definition, is a printout of those programs that you got in the first seven years. And I go, well, what do you mean? I go, well, here's the point. You look at your life at this one moment, and then you say, all the things that you like that come into your life right now, and they're there, and you like them, I say, how do they get there? I say, you already have a program to allow them to be there. That's why they're there. But in contrast, and this is the one that, you know, now the ears have to perk up because in contrast, those things that uh, we want and we have trouble getting it, we have to struggle and work hard and put a lot of effort into it and sweat into making these things happen that we want. And we're working so hard to make these things happen that we want. Uh, question is simple. Why are we working so hard for those destinations? The answer is even more simple, because inevitably the programming that we got does not support that in your life, whether it's health, having a happy romantic relationship, having a wonderful job, whatever these things are. If you keep striving to get there and you're working so hard, the reason why you're working so hard is that the program you got in the first seven years does not support that destination. So I say, oh, well, then I already know what the program is. I'm seeking to have a great loving relationship, not finding it. Then guess what? My program does not support loving relationship. That's a simple outcome right there. So I say, well, what do you want? I say, I want a program that does support loving relationships. I go, oh, well, then you want to change the program. I go, yeah. And I say, ah, now comes part two. Part one was, mm. what the heck are the programs? Now we can see it by looking at our life. Part two, I want to change the program. I go, ah, I said the two minds, conscious and subconscious, have different functions. Conscious mind being creative, that's where our wishes and desires come from. Subconscious mind being habit, that's where the programs are playing. And I say, yeah, but they learn in different ways. And that's where the critical problem has been because I said, well, how do I change a program? Uh, and, and the issue about that becomes important because it basically says this, how does the subconscious mind learn? Because that's the only way you're going to change the program is you have to use the mechanism that the mind uses to learn in the first place. So I go, okay, how does the subconscious mind learn? Uh, and the first thing is this. Uh, in the first seven years, when we got the program, what was the state of the subconscious mind? I go, oh, the brain function in the first seven years, uh, the EEG where you put electrical wires on your head and read the brain function, the EEG reveals that the brain's operating vibration in the first seven years is a lower vibration than consciousness. Uh, in technical terms, it's called theta. 
Theta is a lower vibration than consciousness. It's the vibration that the subconscious is working at. Okay? So I say, oh, well, that's hypnosis. <laughs> I say, so the first seven years, how did we get a program? The brain was in a state of hypnosis for seven years. If you want to change a program, then hypnosis is a good way to change it because that's the fundamental way it got the program in the first place. So I say, oh. Uh, hypnosis, uh, I want to get my brain back into that theta state, that low vibration, because that's when uh, hypnosis is taking place. That's when the subconscious is recording at that moment. So I said, well, how do I, how do, I do hypnosis? Do I need a hypnotherapist? I go, no, here's the cool part. Every night when you uh, go home at work, your brain is operating in a high vibration called beta, which is active consciousness. When you go home after work and you start to relax, the vibration of the brain slows down to a slower one called alpha, which is calm consciousness. And just as you go to bed, just when calm consciousness lets go, so you're now being conscious, let go, that's when you start to go into sleep. But guess what? The moment alpha lets go, consciousness lets go, the next period of brain activity is theta. That's the same one as the hypnosis. So it says every night when the conscious mind lets go to fall asleep, the next operating period of your brain is theta, hypnosis. I say, so what can I do? I say, you put a pair of earphones on your head every night, and you play a program on your player, a program of what you want out of your life, whether it's a program to improve health or a program to improve relationships, self-help programs are basically, and it's also called self-hypnosis. Because when you put the earphones on and you play the program with the wishes and desires that you want to become real, when you're playing that program, mm -hmm. guess what? Conscious mind has already mm -hmm. fallen asleep. Subconscious mind is now operating in theta. So your conscious mind doesn't even hear what the heck is on the program. But whatever is on the program is now being directly downloaded into the subconscious mind. That's hypnosis, self-hypnosis. Mm -hmm. So... You want to change your life? Look at what program do you want to be real that's not real. Put it into your machine, put the earphones on, and when you go to bed, let the program play as you're falling asleep because as you're falling asleep, once the conscious mind lets go, that program is directly downloaded into the subconscious, and you can create a new program that way. So that's self-hypnosis. Part two. So, so, yes. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Well, go ahead. part two no, is... <laughs> Part, part one was, uh, is, uh, very quickly, part one was hypnosis for seven years. And I said, well, yeah, but the subconscious still learns after age seven. I got programs in there that I didn't learn before seven. How to drive a car, <laughs> for example. You didn't learn that before seven, but guess what? It's a habit because once you've learned how to drive a car, you don't have to think about the car. You can get in the car and put the key in and have a conversation with a passenger and never pay attention to the details of driving. It's automatic now. So I say, oh, so after age seven, I can put new programs in. I say, how do you do it? Repetition, habituation, practice. You want to play a, an instrument? Yeah, practice. Every day you practice. And guess what? There's a point where you've repeated it so much that you can pick up the instrument and play it without reading the notes or anything. You know how to do it automatically. So part two, part one, hypnosis, first seven years, self-hypnosis every night when you go to bed. Part two, after age seven, new programs are put in through the practice of uh, practice, <laughs> through habituation, by repeating something over and over again. You want to do, add a new program? You can use that process as well. Practice. Repeat something over and over again that you want to be true. Keep repeating it. Uh, uh, the new age uh, funny statement that I think is humorous but true is fake it till you make it. <laughs> Meaning, let's say if you're not a happy person, then all day long, just say to yourself, I am happy, I am happy. Even though your life is not happy, I don't care. I want you to repeat, I am happy. Why? Because through repetition, habituation, a program is going to go in that says, I am happy. And I say, so what's the relevance? I say, once that program is in there, guess what? You don't have to do any more work because now 95% of the day, that program is going to be uh, manifested by the, by the mind that happy i am happy you could say it in the beginning as a practice but once it's downloaded you don't even have to think about it because 95 percent of the day that program is going to be manifested by the mind so i love it again 
the work is important in the beginning, but once the program is in, you never have to think about it. It's automatic. So that's the second way, and those are the two natural ways, hypnosis, repetition. And then the third way is a, a new uh, modality called energy psychology. And energy psychology is a mechanism uh, to uh, create super learning. You go, what's super learning? And the best example of that is if you've ever seen somebody read a book by moving their finger down the page. As fast as they stroke the page, it's as fast as they read every word on that page. A person using super learning like that can go into a bookstore, turn the pages of the book as fast as they can move the finger down the page, and they have read every page. They can read a book in 10 minutes, read the entire book. I say, if you can engage super learning to put a new program in, that means then you can put a new program in in minutes rather than in days or weeks compared to hypnosis and repetition. In minutes, you can change a belief in 10 or 15 minutes, some of these processes. So just to help people out, on my website, which is very simple, brucelipton.com, brucelipton.com, on the website, under resources, there are 25 or more different energy psychology modalities that you can check out and go to their website and check out and see which ones are appealing to you, which one's the interesting one. And the reason why these are so so cool is there's an old phrase, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. And the relevance is the world is facing uh, its sixth mass extinction uh, uh, because human behavior is undermining the, the environment. That's our, our, our programming, our culture. We want to change that because we cannot survive using the, the, the same culture that has got us to this moment. And so as a result, we need to have super learning uh, that can help us change these beliefs very, very rapidly. So energy psychology is like, oh, uh, the necessity of we need to learn real fast, and all of a sudden this, this version of program change has come into our world, and that's really exciting because you can change a belief you've had your whole life in minutes, and this is the resolution. So there are uh, you look at your life. Your life is a printout of the programs. The things that you want and you struggle for represent the fact that you don't have a program to get that and you want to change the program. Now we know there are three ways to change the program. The first one is uh, self-hypnosis. Second one is repetition, habituation. And the third version is energy psychology. These are the absolute ways to rewrite the programs in the subconscious. The beautiful part Once the program is rewritten, it requires no effort on our part because, look, your subconscious has been controlling your life now 95% of the time. It's still going to control it 95% of the time. So once, if you put the program you want in there, then 95% of the day you will be manifesting that program. And that is the uh, resolution that we need to all collectively understand at this time because human behavior is creating a a mass extinction and the only way out is to change that behavior and we get out of the belief that we're victims and get into the reality that we are manifesting a reality and the manifestation is an expression of our programs and if the programs aren't supporting us then we have freedom to write the program in a different way and manifest a completely different life experience And so heaven on earth, honeymoon effect doesn't have to be a very short time period. Honeymoon effect was you were exercising wishes and desires. I say, what if you programmed in your subconscious the same wishes and desires that your conscious mind has? And then the result, and this is the exciting conclusion, is if your subconscious is playing the same wishes and desires that your conscious mind has, then you will automatically be creating wishes and desires 95% of the day without you even thinking about it. And that's the fun conclusion of this reprogramming. And and that's perfect. You've ended just at the perfect moment uh, (laughs) because we're at the end of the show, but the message is so profound. And um, the most important thing that I received from how you so beautifully explain this process we're in is that we all have the power to change. And unless we change, we can't create other outcomes in our life and in the world. And that's why it's so critical at this point. We have to put the effort in. We have to find the many choices, as you said, you have on your website to begin to change. 
If, if you want your life to be different, you have to make a, com- a commitment, put the time, energy, the discipline in, because you can have it. You can create the life you want. Healing, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationships, finances, career, whatever. Exactly. So, and, and that's the <laughs> cool part, because uh, living a honeymoon experience every day, I can tell you now from personal experience, having rewritten many of the negative programs that I've had, yes. that I do live the honeymoon every day. I wake up every day. I've been married 22 years with Margaret, and every day it's like, hey, we're still here, and we're still in love, <laughs> and life is beautiful. And, and it's basically, it was not that way with my old program. And once mm-hmm. I changed it, ever since then, it, it's like, oh, my God, I have a, 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 a new life on this planet, totally different, yeah. totally different. Well, thank you so much, Bruce, for all your wisdom and inspiration and uh, the commitment you have to spread, to spread um, the possibility of becoming everything we ever wanted to be. Yes, so, um, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so please, everyone, go visit Bruce's website, brucelipton.com, read his books, uh, take the first step, go do it, go do it. And uh, Bruce, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom today. It's always a pleasure having this opportunity to be with you. And um, and to all of you listening, thank you for joining me today. And uh, until next week, remember to always honor the wisdom of your feminine self. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.